0: We're looking at Nehemiah this autumn term, and last week we looked at Nehemiah chapter one, and we're talking about rebuilding and getting ready for a restart. We talked about the danger when you're restarting an engine, the possibility of flooding it, um, and the the challenge of restarting. And last time we looked at um, the call that came to Nehemiah for help, the broken down walls of Jerusalem, the false restarts of, of the rebuilds that had been attempted, and how news came to him from Hanani that, that, that Jerusalem was in a, in a state, the temple walls were torn down, the gates were torn off their hinges, the people, the remnant, were struggling, and, and Jerusalem needed to be rebuilt. And there was that time of renewal that was going to come to the people of God, and that stirred up Nehemiah's heart. And he, um, he did three things that we looked at last week. He, he mourned, first of all, and uh, he expressed his hurt to God, and uh, this for a period of four, four months, he was just expressing his hurt and his loss to God, and then he fasted, he focused his heart on God, and he set aside time to seek God's face, and then he prayed, and he prayed a very specific prayer, and said, God, as I speak to this man tomorrow, Artaxerxes, this man, as I speak to him, God, help me, and, uh, and then he's planning, and he's He's preparing and he's waiting. So we're going to read uh, chapter 2. I'm going to read all of it. Uh, It is the Word of God, and and, uh, we'll listen to it as it's read. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and I gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before, so the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid. But I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my fathers are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? And the king said to me, what is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my fathers are buried so that I can rebuild it. And then the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked me, How long will your journey take and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. I also said to him, If it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of Trans Euphrates so they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah and may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the king's forest, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel, by the temple and for the city wall, and for the residence I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of my God was upon me, the king granted my requests. So I went to the governors of Trans-Euphrates, and I gave them the king's letters. And the king also had also sent army officers and cavalry with me, When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about this, they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. I went to Jerusalem, and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few men. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. And by night, I went through the valley gate toward the jackal well and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down, and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. And then I moved on toward the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was not enough room for my mount to get through. So I went up to the valley by night, examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate, and the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, because as yet I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or nobles or officials or any others who would be doing the work. And then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins. Its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God upon me and what the king had said to me. And they replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. But when Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you are doing, they asked. Are you rebelling against the king? I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. So it's time to rebuild. It's time time for renewal. And last week we said circumstances may have appeared to have wrecked your life, but God is not helpless among the ruins. Nehemiah has taken these three steps. He's mourned, he's fasted, he's prayed. And we read in chapter 2 that he has also planned and prepared for a moment. He has been thinking and he's been preparing and he's been planning and he's been waiting for his moment. And the moment comes four months later as he prepares to serve the king and queen with wine because he is the cupbearer. To the king, And what do we do when we're facing ruins? What do we do when our lives seem to be broken down, when the gates are burned, when the former glories are gone, when we feel the devastation of present circumstances? Again, we can learn a lot from Nehemiah's diary as we read it. The first thing that I see here in this chapter 2 is that Nehemiah is brutally honest. Be brutally honest is the first point. Be brutally honest. In this month of Nisan, that's four months after the story starts, uh, he brings the wine to the king. Uh, And I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king says, "What? why does your face look so sad? And uh, are you ill? And, And this can be nothing but sadness of heart. And I was very much afraid, Nehemiah says. I was terrified. But I said to the king, uh, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my fathers are buried lies in ruins? We looked last week at Nehemiah's response to the news from Jerusalem and we looked at the honest response of mourning. We looked at the sense of the comfort of of God, that the Bible is full of comfort for those that mourn. Jesus said as he preached in the mount, uh, he preached, uh, blessed are those that mourn, for they will be comforted. God is a God of comfort. And throughout the scriptures, the scriptures never dodge the fact that life can be hard or that life can be full of trouble or that life is demanding or that we face illness, we face strife, we face death, we face troubles. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but don't worry, I've overcome the world. And this is a God of comfort, a God who came down for us, a God who loved us so much that he wouldn't spare his own son, but gave him up to die for us. And, and that a Christ, Jesus, who knelt in the garden of Gethsemane and said, God, if there's another way, if there's another cup that I, can, that I can go, then let me take it, but I'm willing, I'm willing to lay down my life. We've got a father who is willing to send his only son to die for you. We've got, we've got a son who's willing to go to the cross on your behalf. And then when that is done, Part three of God's plan, he says, now we're going to send you another comforter, the comforter of the, who is the Holy Spirit. God is a God of comfort, and God is a God who is with us in our mourning and in our loss. And we looked at that last week. And, and now we find Nehemiah is being just honest in his response to God. There's an openness and a reality which I like. I like it when I read it. I like it when I see it. It's the same reality and honest that we find throughout the Scriptures. It's the warts-and-all depiction of faltering sinners and failed saints. Even the greatest of biblical characters in the Bible, like Moses and David and Abraham and Peter and Paul, they're all painted in their full technicolor reality of their flawed lives, with all of their flaws and failings. Eugene Peterson writes, as I've said before, of the saw-toothed history of Israel, up and down, up and down. And he said, we all, at best, are uneven performers. We are all rebels and sinners, sore-toothed Christians, people like you and me, people like the people of Israel, and people like Nehemiah, who find themselves in a ruinous state for which they are partially themselves culpable, which they have brought upon themselves in some ways. Nehemiah is honest about this. He's brutally honest, and that's my first point, is to be brutally honest before God. He's got sadness of face, we read, and sadness of heart. People's faces sometimes reflect what they are feeling or what they're going through. You can sometimes see etched on someone's face. You can see it in their eyes. You can see the sadness. You can see the heaviness of what they're facing and what they're going through. And Nehemiah, as he approaches the king... He does something that you're really not supposed to do in the presence of the most powerful man on earth. He shows his feelings. His sadness of face comes through. His sadness of heart, he can't hide it. And for this, he could lose his life because the king doesn't like people to drag down the mood. And if you show your sorrow in the presence of the king, you can lose your head in these days. But he shares this with the king, which is a very dangerous thing to do. Notice another moment of brutal honesty of Nehemiah in verse 17 of chapter 2 when he's made his way to Jerusalem and he consults with the people and he says to them, the people, as he surveys the walls and the situation they find themselves in, he says, you see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Sometimes people say you shouldn't admit the, the troubles that you're facing. We need to be positive. We need to be upbeat. We need to be uh, faith-filled. But faith doesn't mean that we don't sometimes look the brutal reality of our circumstances in, in the face, but that we acknowledge that God is there with us in them, that God has not left us, that God is still by our side. And Nehemiah never ducks the issue that we're in a mess, we're in trouble here. This is, this is where God works. The, the Message Version says... Face it, we're in a bad way here. Things are not looking good. He carried out a ruthless inventory. That's one of the steps of AA, isn't it? The 12 steps. He carried out a ruthless inventory. Look at this mess we find ourselves in. Look at this mess. A ruthless inventory. This is the reality of my life. Hello, I am Jeff, and I am an alcoholic. Or I am whoever, and this is my issue. This is my problem. And this is where God works. This is God's territory. The trouble of your life, the distress of your life, the realities you face, this is, this is God's territory. God specializes in the territory at the end of your rope. When you feel that you can't, God can and God will. This is where God works. But we have to be honest with God and with one another at times, sad of face, sad of heart, in trouble. And he carries out this survey, and when I heard that word survey, surveys uh, Jerusalem, I thought of the survey of the hymn, when I survey the wondrous cross <laughs> on which the prince of glory died. My richest gain I count but loss, and poor contempt on all my pride. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my God. All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. When we survey, when we survey our lives, when we survey the cross, when we survey the reality of our sin, our brokenness, our lives, we look upon a Savior who came to save us, see from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet or thorns compose so rich a crown? A biblical survey of our condition shows that we need the cross and it shows that we need Christ's death for us and it shows us how dangerous and troubled our broken state is. A survey shows us our true state and it shows us God's amazing grace. And this is a good place to be, a ruthless inventory, a brutal honesty before God. We don't need to hide. We don't need to cover things up. We don't need... Faith is not putting a good gloss on it. Faith sometimes looks stuff in the face and says, this is... Put your word in there. This is so bad. This is so painful. This hurts so much. Be brutally honest before God. God loves that kind of honesty. And the Bible is so honest. Nehemiah was sad of face, sad of heart. Look at the trouble we're in, he says to the people. He's not putting a positive spin on it, but he's in Jim Collins' territory of good to great. He says, confront the brutal facts, but maintain a vital sense of optimism. So wherever you find yourself this morning, whether you're sad or depressed, or facing illness or loss or addiction, whatever ruin you contemplate, whatever troubles surround you, God can and will meet you there. It's always a starting place. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who who are poor in spirit. They're the ones that will be filled. They're the ones that will receive the righteousness of God. The second thing I see here, as well as being brutally honest, Nehemiah is bold in his approach and his asking. Be bold. Be brutally honest. Be bold in your approach and in your asking. Look at what he does in verses 4 to 8. The king said to me, what is it you want, Nehemiah? (laughs) What do you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven. That's one of those arrow prayers. Oh, God help. (laughs) Here's the moment I've been thinking about, planning for, praying for these last four months God, his knees were knocking a little bit. He throws up a prayer to God. God, I prayed to God as I go to speak to the king. But he throws up this prayer and then he says, if it pleases the king, if your servants found favor in your sight, send me to the city of Judah, uh, which my fathers are buried in, so I can rebuild it. That's a bold ask. And he could lose his life by asking, which is why he's very afraid. And then, the king and the queen is sitting beside him. Maybe the queen likes Nehemiah. I don't know. How long will your journey take? How long am I going to lose you for, Nehemiah? You're one of my key staff. You're my cupbearer. You're very close. You're in my inner circle. How long do you want to go for? When will I get you back? Please, the king. To... And I told the king I set a time. And then... Nehemiah's bold, because he's already asked. I'd have left it there. Thank you so much, Artaxerxes. (laughs) And I would have bowed out and uh, got out of there quickly. He said, I could go. i got my leave of absence. But he decides he's going to go for it. He says, uh, while we're at it, (laughs) while you're in a good mood, (laughs) can I have... He's been planning. He's been thinking. Can I have an armed guard? Can I have some cavalry, some horses? And while we're at it, can I have a letter to, the, to Asaph and to the keeper of the, the king's forest and can I have some wood? And I'd like wood for the temple and I'd like wood for the walls and I'd like to build my own house as well, so can I have some wood for that too? And you're just reading it and you're thinking, wow, Nehemiah. <laughs> but he's asking, he's pushing, he's in the presence of the king. He's being bold in his approach and his asking. He's taken his own life in his hands to approach the king with any of these requests because Artaxerxes is the king that's already issued the stop notice to rebuilding Jerusalem. He's already had letters from these officials in the trans-Euphrates who've said, these Jews are causing trouble and you need to stop what they're doing. And so Artaxerxes has already stopped the building once and Nehemiah is going to go and ask him to restart it and undo his previous edict. And so Nehemiah is very afraid, but he, he's bold in his approach. Can I have a leave of absence? Can I go and rebuild Jerusalem? Can I have some wood? Can I have permission? Can I have protection? And can I have provision, please? Our will He has prayed, he's planned, and he's prepared for this moment. But he still throws up an arrow prayer to God. Oh God, please help me. These are bold requests. And then he goes for it. He's brutally honest, but he's bold in his asking and his approach. This is what it says in Hebrews 4 verse 16 of our approach not to the king, Artaxerxes, the most powerful man on earth, but to the king of kings and the Lord of lords, the most powerful God in all of the universe. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. We can come with with confidence, with boldness, we can approach this throne of grace. To the King of kings and the Lord of lords, in Jesus Christ, it says in Ephesians three twelve, and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. In and through Christ, we can come with boldness. You can come and ask with boldness. And God, while I'm asking, can I just ask for this? And while I'm asking God, can I just ask for this? That I, I I showed you or referenced before, that Tom Hanks film, The Road to Perdition, where his son sits. They've been robbing banks together. And his son says to his father, he sits next to Tom Hanks in the bar, says, "Dad, can I have some of the proceeds from our robberies?" He said, "Yes, yeah, son. How much do you want?" He said, "Could I have a hundred dollars, Dad?" "Yeah, you could have a hundred dollars." Then he sits, and there's this pregnant silence, and then his son says, "I could have asked for more, couldn't I, Dad?" His dad said, "You'll never know." <laughs> The Bible says you do not have because you do not ask. I sometimes wonder if we could have asked for more. As we approach with boldness and confidence the throne of grace, not the throne of a despot king who could take your head off in a moment if the whim took him. Not the, not the throne of, of, a, of a king who, who has the power in that sense to take your life, but. The throne of a, of a God of, of grace and mercy. Everyone whom the Father gives me, Jesus said, will come to me and I will never turn away anyone who comes to me. I'll never turn them away. And so another old hymn which sings these words, no condemnation now I dread. Jesus and all in him is mine Abide in him, alive in him, my living head, and clothed in righteousness divine, bold I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Christ my own. And and Hebrews reminds us, you are not coming to a mountain that cannot be touched, that's burning with fire. You're not coming to darkness and gloom and storm. You're not coming to the trumpet blast or to a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word would be spoken to them. He's painting the picture of the Israelites in the Old Testament, approaching the the mountain where the flames were coming up. The smoke was on and over the mountain. The fear of God came upon the people. The trumpets sounded, They were trembling for their life. Please stop. Don't talk anymore. We can't take your power and your glory, God. Only Moses could approach. He said, the writer of Hebrews said, this is not what you're coming to. But you have come to Mount Zion. You've come to the city of the living God. You've come to the heavenly Jerusalem. You've come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You've come to God, the judge of all. You've come to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. You've come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. This is whom we come to. We can come with boldness. And and Nehemiah approaches our taxerxes with boldness and confidence in his asking and his approaching. And bold we approach the eternal throne. We come to a throne of mercy and grace. So be bold in your asking. You could have asked for more. And don't stop asking. And don't stop being specific. Be bold. Be audacious. Be slightly cheeky you're asking. My kids are cheeky when they ask me for stuff. Dad, can I have? Can I have? My son's home from university. Dad, can I have? They get lost. (laughs) But it doesn't stop them asking. I'm robbing my bank account. So be brutally honest about your condition. That's what Nehemiah does. But be bold in your approach and your asking. And thirdly, be brave. Be brave in the face of obstacles and opposition. Verse uh, 2, chapter 2, verse 2, I was very much afraid. It's just one of those lines in Scripture that you just read over it quickly, but I was very much afraid. You, You know, Nehemiah was... He knew, what, he knew what was at stake. He knew he could lose his life for asking. And then in verses 19 and 20, be brave in the face of obstacles and opposition. Verses 19 and 20, but, so, so Nehemiah gets to Jerusalem. He's got, he's got the letters, he's got the words, he's got the people on board. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite and Geshem the Arab heard about, it, they mocked and they ridiculed us. What is this you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? There's going to come some trouble your way, Nehemiah. Courage is not the absence of fear. I was very much afraid. Sometimes I say, do it afraid anyway. <laughs> Courage is not the absence of fear. Nehemiah was afraid. He faced real enemies who wanted to stop him, who did not want Israel and Jerusalem to prosper, and they would use intimidation and threats and mockery, and disdain, political power, anything at their disposal to stop Nehemiah. They've done it before, and we'll do it again, Nehemiah. We've stopped this work before, and we're going to come get you. Nehemiah, as we shall see, had to deal not only with his own fears and struggles, but he had to deal with the fears and struggles of the people that he was leading, and then he had to deal with with the real opposition that he faced. We have an enemy of our souls, the Bible says, we read and we studied, did we not, in Ephesians, that we are in a spiritual battle, that we fight not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And these dark rulers of this age, we are in a cosmic battle. We have an enemy of our souls, and sometimes we are afraid. We have an enemy that does not want our church to prosper or our people uh, to flourish. We have an enemy who does not want the gospel to be preached. Or the walls to be rebuilt. We have an enemy that would frustrate us wherever he can. We have an alpha course that we're starting in two weeks' time where we wanna share the gospel with people and introduce them to the faith of the Christian gospel. We wanna go online and whoever wants to join us can join us. From across the world, from across the country, your friends, your relatives. We wanna share the gospel. We wanna share this good news. We want people to find Christ. We have connect groups that are starting up. We want to connect people into the body of Christ. We want people to find fellowship. We want people to grow together. We want people to find uh, the the body of Christ, which is where we we grow, which is the the blueprint of heaven for Christian growth. We want to build community. We will face times of difficulty and, and, and opposition. And we will face times when we lose our confidence and times when we are afraid, in the middle of the night. And sometimes we have to be strong and courageous. We have to be brave. No one said it would be easy or unopposed. There may be setbacks. This was the third attempt to rebuild these walls. The work has been stopped by these officials of the trans-Euphrates before. The threats were real, the opposition was fierce. So the final point, That I'm going to bring to you today is particularly important, as well as as being brutally honest, as well as being bold, as well as being brave in the face of opposition. We need, in all of this, to partner with God, to know that God is on our side, to know that we do this with God. 111, chapter 111. O Lord, let your ears be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant, to the prayer of your servants who delight and revere in your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. Chapter 2, verse 8. May I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the king's forest, so he would give me timber to make beams, and for the city and for the residents I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of my God was upon me, the king granted my requests not because I was so persuasive or such a great leader, but because God's hand was upon me, the king granted my requests. And then chapter 2, verse 18, I also told them, the people of Israel, I told them about the gracious hand of my God upon me and what the king had said to me. And then in chapter 2, verse 20, I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. We as servants will start rebuilding but God will give us success. <laughs> if God is for us, who can be against us? The hand of God. You remember the hand of Maradona? It was called the hand of God, scoring a, a cheats goal against England. But because God's hand was upon me, Nehemiah said, I was successful. I could go to the king and I could be bold in my asking. I could get the wood. We can do this because God is with us. It's the same kind of boldness that David said in the face of uh, Goliath, (laughs) you come to me with your weapons, you come to me, you giant of a man, you come to me with all your weaponry and your height and your stature, but I come to you in the name of the God of Israel. I've got God on my side. So have that, Goliath. And we have, in all of this, this is not just about us having a go or rebuilding or restarting, but it's the God who is with us that counts. The God of the angel armies is on our side. We partner with him. And whether David or Gideon or Moses or Daniel or the early disciples or Nehemiah, often insurmountable odds or impossible situations were overcome because God intervened, God was on their side. And it's the same with our human condition. We are dead in our sins. We are separated from God. We are hopeless. But God, but God intervened. God sent his son, Jesus. God gave his son, Jesus, who died for us and died in our place. He offers us a way back. He offers us new life and resurrection, eternal life beyond death, beyond sin, beyond brokenness. He gives hope where there is no hope. He gives a future beyond the disappointments and the failings of your past or the precariousness or pain of your present. Nehemiah partners with God. And he's not just passive, but nor does he think it all depends on him. And I I love the juxtaposition of of verse 20 where it says the God of heaven will give us success and we his servants will start rebuilding. (laughs) We're going to roll up our sleeves and we're going to work hard. And was it Wesley that said, do everything, work as if it, everything depends on you? Pray as if everything depends on God. We partner with God. God will give us success. We're going to start rebuilding. We're going to start working. We're going to, you know, we're in a season now, September, we're relaunching things, things are getting going. We've lost some of our volunteers through the last year and a half, two years. Some of our teams were a bit thin. We need help from serving coffee in the evenings to welcoming people at the doors to building our technical teams to strengthening our youth and children's teams. You know, we, we started rebuilding the walls. Now, we're going to do our bit. We're going to work hard. but God will give us success. And across the church, the challenge comes to us as individuals. Uh, and Paul's been talking about the connect groups and the activity groups. There's, there's different types of groups. One of the groups that we have are volunteer groups. <laughs> that's a great way to get to know people in the church and to serve in the church and to build fellowship in the church is to volunteer and, and work alongside people, and we'll get to that in Nehemiah. <laughs> but it's a great way for you to get involved. And, and have a look on our website, our, our volunteer groups, and sign up for those. We will rebuild. God will give us success. It's juxtaposition of our hard work as if it depends on us, But we pray and we believe as if it depends on God. Because it does, because we partner with the God of heaven. We were on holiday this uh, summer in the beautiful climes of North Yorkshire. (laughs) And uh, it was a lovely part of the world. And um, we decided one day to go on a bike ride um, as a family. So we hired bikes. But I had worked out that North Yorkshire is very hilly. Very hilly. It's the dales up and down. And so I came up with a cunning plan. We were going to hire e bikes, electric bikes. I love these bikes. They have revolutionized, they would revolutionize my life. And um, because they had different settings on, and as you were going up these steep shale hills, you could turn on Turbo Boost. It <laughs> <That> was amazing. <laughs> So you're pedaling up this hill, and you're slogging away. And I'm just going to have a little bit of turbo boost here, I think. And then, woo! <laughs> it was so powerful that I was going up this hill like this. And I turned on turbo boost. I did a complete wheelie and fell off my bike. <laughs> Landed on my back, sprawled with the bike on top of me. didn't realize the power at my disposal. You know, we face some hills, we face some challenges. But we do it in partnership with God. You may be going up the hill right now. You may need a little bit of t- godly turbo boost. Or, to use a different analogy, when you're sailing, I'm not a sailor. I just like to have friends that can sail and borrow their boats. But to get the wind in your sails makes all the difference. I went sailing with, uh, with Aaron. <laughs> and... Um, we we got into a dead spot no wind <laughs> the tide was against us couldn't move in fact i believe that some people in the club were laughing at us cuz we couldn't get out of this couldn't get out of this uh, dead spot and all we needed and we caught after that we caught a little bit of wind in our sails and we started to go again and for some of us we need the wind of the holy spirit again in our sails. We need the turbo boost of God. <laughs> and yeah, we'll keep peddling and we'll keep pushing and we'll keep putting up the sails. Um, but John Pancher used to sing an old song. He said, you put up the sails. You get out in the boat. But, but it's, it's God. God will come with the wind. God will come, put wind in your sails. And God will help us. We'll partner with him. And that's what Nehemiah speaks with confidence at the end of this chapter. He says, we're, we're going to start rebuilding. But God, he's going to give us success. So we're going to be brutally honest, which is what they were. We're not going to gloss over anything. We're going to be brutally honest about the challenges we face, whether individually or corporately. We're going to be, we're going to be bold and audacious in our asking and our approach to a king who is a king of grace and mercy. We're going to be brave in the face of opposition and difficulty and setback and we're going to partner with God as we do so and he will give us success. Let's pray together. Father, we've heard various words this morning of the prophetic kind and of Scripture, which is also prophetic and truth, very much so. And I pray, God, that you'll speak to our hearts and to the hearts of individuals you are flagging on the hill. I pray, God, that you will energize and send again the life and the wind of your spirit. Pray, Lord, that we would be bold as we approach your throne afresh. We could have had more. We could have asked for more. I pray, Lord, that we would come again to your throne of grace and mercy. We'd be brutally honest about this season of our life, of our church's life, of our individual lives, about the sickness we face or the loved ones we care for or mourn, the loss, the grief, the sadness of heart that weighs us down. I pray, God, that we would come and we would be honest. And this, too, is faith. The lament of a people who are honest before you. And, God, I pray that as we stand in your presence, you will in no wise cast us out. That you welcome us in. And you grant our requests. So I pray, Lord, that as we boldly approach your eternal throne, today. And in these coming days, we'd find our way back into your presence. We'd be bold in our asking and our approach. We'd be brave in the face of opposition, and we will partner with you, God. And Lord, we will rebuild, and you will give us success. I pray, God, that you will bless your people in this season. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. amen.